0: or wherever you listen. You know that
1: it is not working when you know it's ugly. You know, so, you know, (laughs) when you look at it and it's like, you know what, this is it. This is terrible, this is not at all what I want. If it induces vertigo, as far as too much pattern, if the colors are so garish Mm -hmm. that it makes you feel like you are in this Pollock painting, humans know when something is unattractive. It's just Mm -hmm. part of our species.
2: Welcome to How To, I'm Carvel Wallace. We put a lot onto our homes and that's because our homes are such meaningful places. Like our home has to do so much. It has to hold us and all of our feelings and experiences. It needs to relax us when we're anxious and then motivate us when we're down. Sometimes we want it to be easy and comfortable and chill, And sometimes we want it to be like the representation of all of our ambitions. We want our homes to show the world what kind of person we are, or at least what kind of person we wanna be. Organized, chill, tasteful, relaxed, but disciplined, but healthy, but welcoming. We hate the idea that somebody could walk into our house, look around and be like, who's this asshole? Like we want them to walk in and look around and be like, wow, what an amazing person must live here. So with all this at stake, it makes sense that it can be hard to make decisions about how to decorate your home. Which brings us to this week's listener.
3: My name is Hilary Stacy. I am a chemistry teacher in Tucson, Arizona and a hopeful homeowner this summer.
2: Hillary and her fiancé are already mid-leap from their apartment to their first house, and it's a new build, a blank page, for them to create the home of their dreams, a place to entertain friends and even grow a family. But as a writer, I can tell you from personal experience that there is nothing more stressful than a blank page.
3: I really want to walk into my home and think that my home is beautiful. I want to walk into a space mm-hmm. that I feel proud of. And when I wear a nice outfit that gives me confidence, it just boosts my whole day. I want my home to give me that confidence that my outfits can give me as well.
2: How would you describe your home to someone who hasn't seen it? Like the honest description. Like what is it feel? What's the energy of it? What does it feel like?
3: It feels a little haphazard. Over my adulthood, I have gathered many things in my home, and some of them I love. But when I come home and I see the way that all of my things are arranged, it doesn't necessarily bring me joy. I've had some what my fiance calls schemes of Mm. design that I have attempted to put together, gallery walls, throw pillows, colors, items, furniture, and it doesn't really seem to mesh together into a cohesive design style.
2: Now that she has a chance to start from scratch, Hillary doesn't wanna make the same mistakes, especially since the new house has a big, open concept living room, kitchen, and dining area. That space is first on her list because it's gonna be the epicenter of their home. The problem is, She doesn't quite know what her style is, or how to find it and then translate it into a room.
3: There's really a lot of design styles that I'm attracted to. My personal motto is, life is too short to wear boring clothes. I Mm. love patterns, Mm. I love color, I have a full-arm tattoo sleeve of colorful flowers that's rich in color, rich in patterns. No one is ever sure what my actual clothing style is because I just like to craft an outfit that feels vibrant, feels put together in whatever style it is. Mm. And that gives me confidence if what I'm wearing matches and makes me feel good about myself.
2: But it's one thing to wear something colorful and it's another to be enclosed in a visually loud space. Changing your shirt is a lot easier than changing your wall paint when you need a break. Plus, you need to make sure that everyone living in the space is happy, which is a major consideration for Hillary, given that she's engaged to be married.
3: He's a boisterous, energetic person, which fits along with my vibe great. Um, But his style is much more minimalist aesthetic. He's a pragmatist and only likes things that are functional.
2: What kind of stuff does he kind of get excited about?
3: He gets excited about golf. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and so um, when I first started dating him, I walked into his apartment and there was hand-me-down furniture, there was his stuff, and that was it. And he's like, oh, the best thing about dating me is if we ever move in together, you get to design everything because I have no sense of style.
2: Is that but- true? Do you get to design everything? Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you you see my point is when I come I up do with see these themes about what I want it to look like, sometimes he vetoes them. He's like, "That's too much. I see. That looks gaudy. That looks tacky. We can't do that."
2: Interesting. Okay. Once this project is done, what three words would describe your living room, dining room, kitchen, open plan area in your dreams?
3: I think the three words that would describe my space in an idealized world would be beautiful, relaxing, and well put together.
2: Well, speaking of well put together, I think it's time to bring in our expert. Corey Damon Jenkins is an award-winning interior designer known for marrying vivid colors with classic elegance to create spaces that are as beautiful as they are bold. Corey. What is your first impression hearing this story?
1: Oh my God, I'm in love. I think it's awesome. Mm. (laughs) She says so many things that I actually uh, employ in working with our clients in terms of the connection between the fashion runway and interior design. So I am very excited. So today on the show, Corey is going to show us how we can
2: create the home of our dreams without the nightmare price tag. Stay with us
0: In each episode, Kitty talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com podcast, or find it wherever you listen.
2: From a very early age, Corey Damon Jenkins knew that he had a knack for style, whether it was putting together colorful outfits for school or falling in love with the 70s and 80s decor of his parents' house.
1: My mother and father uh, always put a lot of thought and effort into our home. My mother would redecorate the home and I would always come behind her and rearrange everything when she was done. Uh, So I kind of cut my teeth on the decor (laughs) of my parents' home. But it wasn't a direct
2: path from redecorating his parents' home to working as an interior designer. In the world that he was living in, there were much more practical and stable grown-up jobs.
1: And knowing that he had to pay the bills, he took one of them. Being in Michigan, you know, we make cars for GM and Chrysler. Right. So, uh, I got a, a position working as a buyer, and did that for about ten years. And then, when the Great Recession hit in 2007, I got laid off. So, um, it was at that point mm-hmm. that I thought I might give uh, my original dream, which was to be an interior designer full time, uh, a second chance. I got a website. I uh, had a coming soon sign on it. Sat back and I waited for about. Mm, three weeks for the phone to ring and it didn't ring. And so I began a door knocking campaign and uh, knocked wow. on 779 wow. doors in the dead wow. of winter in Michigan. There were a few occasions where people said some pretty, <laughs> you know, nasty things I can't repeat. And then of course uh, at least two occasions where dogs were let out to chase me off the, off the estate. So that was, you know, mm. awesome. Um, but um at the 779th door, this lovely couple opened their doors and let me in and let me get give my entire presentation. They were like, well, oh you know God. what? We're going to give you a shot. We'll give you, you know, two rooms. And if you knock it out the park, we'll give you the entire house. I poured my heart and soul into those projects. And we did a complete gut renovation, did the entire home, got the projects uh, professionally photographed, put them on that Day.com website that I designed, you know, many months earlier. <laughs> and um, three weeks later, I was cast on my first HGTV television show. It was a, one of those uh, design competition shows. And I won. And um, that kind of catapulted the, the brand wow. to a, a, a bigger audience. But I, I always tell you know, my students and just in talking with people in general that the lesson that I learned was, if you don't knock on the doors, they don't open. That is so
2: lovely. I'm literally getting emotional hearing it. Um, What do you
1: love about design? I think the biggest reward is seeing the aha moments for my clients when their eyes light up, when they see the finished product unveiled for the very first time, a completely furnished room or, or rooms. That's priceless for me. Can you talk a little bit about
2: how we can build a space that we love without having, like,
1: an endless supply of money? I think the big thing is um, having a wholesome appreciation for what has come before, right? And I think that mm. genuine generational wealth is not always uh, a priceless or very expensive item. It's the things that carry the most nostalgic value for you. It could be a set of plates that your great-grandmother owned that in and themselves were not very expensive, but to you and to your family, it's priceless. And I think that if more people looked to vintage pieces and put a higher value on that, those things don't cost a lot. Um, great design is accessible to everyone if they avail themselves of it. Um, and don't be afraid to mix and match, taking the items that are very high end and mixing them with something that's you know, not a big price tag. No one's going to know unless you keep the price tags on the items. And mm. who does that? <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> Hillary, I wonder if you – I saw you kind of nodding a little bit. I wonder if you have or can think of items from your childhood, from your history that, like, spark that emotional joy in you um, that are design items that either you have or that you want to recreate that aesthetic or feeling somehow.
3: Sure. So my aunt that I'm very close with is an artist. And there are two items that I have displayed in my home of hers. One are these very bright, vibrant canvas rugs. She takes canvas, folds it into a rug, paints it with patterns and dots and colors and outlines and shapes. Additionally, she takes photographs, pastes them onto a canvas, and then finishes the outside with paint. She does a really good job color matching. So I have many pieces of her vibrant wall paintings, as well as some vibrant rugs. And I would like to honor my family by Mm. still displaying those items in my home.
2: I love that. I mean, this question of bold colors does come up a lot. Corey, how do you use bold colors without making something overwhelming
1: or too much or too loud? How do you know what that difference is? The big task in using color, whether it be in a maximalist environment or a more minimalist environment, is actually the exercising of restraint. You have to know when to stop. Historically, with ancient civilizations like the Egyptians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, Jewel tone colors, emerald green, sapphire, blue, ruby reds, you know, amethyst purples. um, Those were colors that were used to denote wealth and royalty and success. And people who were not of means um, did not have access to the dyes and the other materials that were needed to make colors available on a day-to-day. So I think that today people need to realize that the access to color in itself is a real privilege because it wasn't always that way for all people, right? And a lot of our design work where we have big, bold colors in a maximalist uh, portrayal, you will also find lots of white, lots of black, lots of chocolate, you know, lots of beige mixed Mm. in with it because those Mm. things kind of ground those items. We don't want to induce vertigo with our clients. And so (laughs) you have to have a balancing act with restraint.
2: So here's our first few insights. Value doesn't necessarily come from an object's cost. It comes from its meaning. Connect with and build around the pieces that have meaning for you. Family pieces, heirlooms, a kind of lamp that your aunt had that you and your cousins used to sit under a set of plates that your grandmother used to serve you PB and J off of. These things aren't necessarily expensive, but they can make your home feel beautiful. Next. Remember restraint in all ways. If you set a dollar amount, stick to that dollar amount. This helps you rein in your vision and make decisions about what's really important and what isn't. And restraint applies to color too. There's a reason why accent walls are so popular across many styles. It's a pop of color instead of an overwhelming amount.
3: So Corey, I have a question for you. Because I have this colorful art, is keeping the walls white behind the colorful art a good way to add those neutrals and add that palette cleanser? Or are there more things that I need to think about?
1: That's definitely a great start. The white walls would be a great foil for a bold artwork collection. But you could pick it up I think in a way that would not be um, offensive to your fiance um, by splashing some color on pillows on your sofa, for example, right? Even a throw blanket on the edge of a chair in a a jolt of bold color can go a long ways towards livening up what would otherwise be a very neutral beige or gray, you know, uh, chair. And then finally. Think about your ceilings. If you have the four walls dressed in white, you can gift wrap the room with a little bit of color with the lid on the ceiling, if you will. And that is an unobstructed viewpoint that everyone can appreciate. And it doesn't cost a lot to to achieve that. It's backbreaking work to, to put it up there. But once it's up, it looks amazing. And that's a way that you could really balance out the white walls with a little bit of personality.
2: Now, if you're getting a little overwhelmed by the thought of painting your ceiling, like you're not Michelangelo, don't worry. We're gonna come back and Corey's gonna explain why some people are drawn to certain colors and how to figure out what works best for you. Don't go anywhere.
0: Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com.
3: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
4: In Williamsburg,
3: Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker,
4: you'll find what you came for here and more. So
3: ask yourself, what is it you want?
2: We're back with interior designer extraordinaire Corey Damon Jenkins and Hillary, who is trying to refine her style before she starts designing her home this summer.
1: Um, it's so funny that Hillary at the outset mentioned her wardrobe and how she looks at the her sleeve on her arm and her her fashion to inspire you know, what she does for her interiors and that's the exact same thing that we do with our clients. Our clients will tell you that I will have them go to their wardrobe and they will you know pull down three things that when they wear mm-hmm. them they feel like a million dollars and I'll ask them what is it about this dress that makes you feel so amazing and the client will explain that to me and often we'll pull elements of that to you know communicate that color palette throughout the home and the the interior design project so if you wear it on your skin if it's close to your epidermis on a daily basis then you feel comfortable with it chances are you're going to feel comfortable Mm -hmm. being in a room that's you know gift wrapped in that same color maybe you know give or take 20 Mm percent in terms of intensity
2: (laughs) Okay, so here's another tip. You can't just pick a color that seems cool and then paint your whole interior that shade and hope it works out. You need to spend time with the color. like Think about how it makes you feel. Think about the colors you already love. Like for me, I've always been attracted to autumn shades, orange, umber, greens, dark reds, browns. These colors have always made me feel calm and relaxed. So when it was time for me to design a new apartment, I think I knew automatically that I just needed to choose pieces that were in this color scheme and chances are it would work out.
3: So should I take the colors that my fiancé wears and try to incorporate some of those colors in order to marry our two styles together, maybe a little bit more?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that there is something to be said for honoring the two parties that are going to be using the space. And maybe it's a matter of, let's say, his favorite color is navy blue and yours is fuchsia. Um, Well, what is your favorite color, Hillary? Literally hot pink, pink, magenta,
3: and his is navy blue. How do I know that? (laughs) He's a very stereotypical man. Okay,
1: that's this is why you're the expert. (laughs) So if you have, so maybe, so maybe what the thing is is, okay, you have the four white walls, right? We're playing this together, together, right? So the four white walls. Maybe what we do is a navy blue sofa to kind of ground the room, because that way, if he wants to watch the Super Bowl. He doesn't feel you know, any sort of way sitting on a sofa that's navy blue versus a pink sofa, which might make a man feel a certain kind of way. But not to leave the lady of the house out, you then splash on the sofa pillows that are a medley of pink mm. and blue and fuchsia and maybe a bit of white or cream to bring in the wall color. And then above the sofa on the white walls, that's where a lot of color goes into the artwork. Hillary, do you have a mood board?
3: No, I don't have a mood board. This is why I am so excited to be working with you today, because (laughs) when I called into how to, I had no idea how to even start.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A mood board is an expression of the design intent for a space and you can get uh, paint chips, fabric selections, whether it be swatches from the store you're purchasing the furnishings from, you can lay those things out. You can also add other things to the mood board that speaks to the inspiration of what your design intent is. Like, for example, it could be a scarf or jewelry. Lay them all out in an attractive way and then step away for a while, come back to it the next day, look at it in the natural sunlight, look at it at night. If it doesn't look good on the board, it's not going to look good in the room. It's just that simple. And then do some editing. I always tell clients and and, and students that if you lay something out on the mood board and it's perfect the first time, something's wrong. Editing is something that is absolutely essential Mm. to any design process, so take something away.
3: Wonderful suggestion. That is so useful. Thank you. I know that these mood boards are probably very basic to people in your profession, but people like me that have no idea where to start, that is so useful.
2: (laughs) Corey is again talking about the importance of sitting with a design choice on a smaller scale before you commit to it on a bigger scale. Whether that's wearing the color before you paint the color or laying out your potential ideas on a mood board and editing before you make it a reality, it's important that you give yourself time to sit with your ideas. And while you're experimenting, there's one big distinction Corey wants us to understand for those of us who are wondering, how do we match colors?
1: That's a great question. And I actually um, covered this in one of the chapters on my Masterclass uh, series. And the first place that you start is recognizing the fact that not everything has to match. I think one of the biggest traps that homeowners and design enthusiasts Mm. get trapped in is that every single thing has to match. What things need to do is they need to flow. And that's very different than matching. Corey
2: likens designing a room to cooking from the heart. Like sure, a recipe will get you started, but it won't necessarily get you all the way home. You have to taste and adjust, add more salt, a dash of vinegar. You have to toss in more colors in the throw pillow or tone it down with the curtains. You design as you go.
1: One big mistake that people often do is they paint the room whatever color is gonna be, let's say it is a bold shade of pink, and then the drapes and the furniture and the rugs don't match. So I would start with what you own and build from that first. I would take the pink swatches to your rug And choose your paint swatch Mm -hmm. uh, based upon the elements that are physically present in the rug Um, one more little hack detail that I'm happy to to share here on this podcast is there's nothing wrong with taking a fabric uh, to a paint store whether it be a Benjamin Moore or Sherwin-Williams and they have scanners there they scan a a fabric and it has to be a solid fabric can't have a lot of patterns to it but they can scan a solid shade of, of pink silk for example and they can come up with with the pink color in their deck that is most closely associated with that shade of pink. That's a way you could match the walls if you wanted to, to your color scheme. So um, I think it needs to be a bit more of a loose, informal approach to mixing and matching things versus trying to make it so scientifically accurate.
2: This also goes for wood tones. You don't need everything to be the same stain of cherry oak, for example it really matters what goes with the flow. And if you're working in a space like Hillary's that is open concept, look around at the space at every angle and make sure the things in your sightline are complementing each other, but not necessarily matching each other.
1: Again, it goes back to that analogy of cooking. You don't dump the whole can of salt into the pot. You do teaspoons and tablespoons and dashes and pinches till you get to the right level of deliciousness. And so I think that when it comes to design, it should be the same thing.
2: Well, in some sense, it reminds me of what you said earlier about restraint. And, you know, there's two ways we can think of restraint, right? There's like restraint, like don't overdo it but there's also restraint in buying. And I think sometimes when we're decorating a space and we have some money in our pocket, we really wanna get to the finish line of this project. So there is this temptation to be like, okay, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna buy everything and I'm gonna get all the couches and tables and furnitures and everything. And then by the end of this weekend, this room is gonna be kaboom, it's done. And what I found over the years of setting up spaces is that I need restraint in time. I need to buy a couch and then live with the couch for like a few weeks before I go, It needs this kind of pillow and then live with the pillow for a few weeks before I go, there should be a lamp over there. It shouldn't be that kind of lamp. It should be this other kind of lamp. So there's this restraint in buying, too, which I think is really hard when we're excited to make moves. What do you think about that, Hillary? Is that something that you find um, yourself working with?
3: I am a person who comes up with a scheme and carries it out that very night or weekend, depending on my time availability. So your words, Carvel, on having restraint about time are things that I might need to carve into my hand, a la Harry Potter. (laughs) This is going to be a very important tip for me. I got to just remind myself that i have furniture enough to sit my tush on to feed my family a dinner i have things that i can bring into this new home that will be functional until i can locate those pieces that make the flow So that maybe I don't schedule my housewarming party for maybe six months after I buy the home instead of (laughs) six days so that I don't just try to do all of the things at one time. Like you said, sometimes when you don't have restraint in buying, you bring everything in and suddenly if something doesn't work, then you have to, you know, start over again. Mm -hmm. Thank you for Mm -hmm. that. Yeah,
1: and the thing Mm -hmm. is you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So... If you find something that just really moves you, whether it be a great piece of artwork or this lamp that you just have to have, even if you can't entirely envision where that piece might live in your home, go for it. And then all the other little things, the pillows, the lamps, accessories, the, the finishing touches, they'll all trickle down and find a natural you know, nook and crane and kind of, you have to have a certain level of courage to kind of do interior design because it is a risk factor. And that's part of the beauty of what we do. Yeah
3: why professionals are important in some of these contexts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Hillary, you mentioned that you would be perhaps expanding your family at some point and having kids and kids can sometimes, I, I think they can feel antithetical to our design choices because they bring a certain chaos uh, element to our thing. When you think about designing a space that you know kids are gonna utilize, what,
1: how do you approach that challenge? Well, I encourage clients to spend what I call up top versus down on the bottom. When the kids are little, or there's dogs or cats or other, you know, chaos-inducing, you know, agents, um, I try to encourage them to spend up top. And what I mean by that is, like I mentioned earlier in our in our podcast, um, doing a beautiful wall covering on the ceiling, or you know, uh, some sort of paint finish up there. That's a wow factor. Maybe a beautiful chandelier that costs, you know, a, it's a bit of an investment. But if your kids are crawling up there and ruining the ceiling, the chandelier, I can't help you. Those are some badass kids. Uh, <laughs> You've got right, bigger they have, problems. They have much bigger problems than you know than decorating at that point. But you also want to be mindful of the fact that children need to have visual, sti- you know, visual stimulation. They need to grow up and seeing these beautiful things, because that informs the kind of humans we become later. So I don't. I don't encourage clients Mm -hmm. to not do beautiful things just because they have kids around. And then of course, always frame your kid's artwork because that's where sometimes the most brilliant Picasso level abstract art can be found is in the artwork of your children. Frame it, put a great mat on it. It encourages kids to embrace Mm -hmm. their their design and their abilities. Mm -hmm. It gives them a sense of pride. You can look at it. And it's also a very cost-effective measure to decorate your home. So kids don't have to be the enemy. They can be an assist to great decorating. (laughs) (laughs) Collaborators. Yes. (laughs)
2: Okay, so we've thrown a lot at you. And just like with color, we don't want it to be overwhelming.
1: So to summarize, here's the basics. The first thing I would say is what do you want the space to feel like, like what is the emotional impact that you want um, the the space to communicate to both you and your guest. Um, number two, what is your budget to accomplish your dream? Because nothing is worse than starting a project and not completing it. So have your budget in mind. And then I would say three, make sure that it's functional as much as it is beautiful. Because no one wants to live in a museum. No one wants to live in a space, you know, like, I, like again, a kid from the 80s. We had plastic on all the sofas in the living room. We weren't allowed to go in there. <laughs> well, what's the point? I mean, yes, yes. I had grandparents who passed away. <laughs> and that plastic was on their sofa for like literally 30-something years. The whole time I was around for sure. So the, the, now the sofa is <laughs> oh passed goodness. down to us. It's brand new, but it's also from nineteen, you know, seventy, and it's in plastic. Live with your stuff, enjoy it. Take the plastic off, make it functional. Don't just wait till the holidays to enjoy the antique set of china you got from your great great grandmother. Use them every day. I think that that's the thing about mm-hmm. where we're at as a species right now. We're realizing that life is really short. Yes. we lost over a million people during the yes. pandemic that we are that are no longer with us now. Those people, their lives were cut short, and that could have happened to any of us. Live well and fully now. And if your space is not enabling you to do that, then you don't have the right space. Life is too short to be uh, living in a beige box. I think that colorful Mm -hmm. interiors can do a lot to improving the the mental and emotional health of of our fellow man and fellow woman.
3: That's exactly what I want to feel when I come home. I want to feel happy to be home. I want to be able to crash on a pretty couch and look at all the things around me and feel comforted by the choices that I made and feel excited to finally be in a space that is very me. It is very my family, my fiance included. And knowing that I don't need to tackle it in one weekend. But I'm going to nope. create my mood board and start to get my ideas in place and actually visualized in the light.
1: Well, you have to send me pictures, okay. Hillary. I want you, I'm on, I'm on Instagram at, at Corey Damon Jenkins. You've got to send me DMs of the progress. And I'm so serious. I'm not just saying this because we're on this session. I really want to see how it turns out. I'm so excited oh for you and congratulations on your new beginnings. And so just send me photos of what, how it's coming along because I'm just, I'm excited for you. What you gonna do? (laughs)
2: That definitely goes for us as well, Hillary. We can't wait to see pictures of your progress. If you want to learn more from Corey, he has a masterclass where he goes even more in depth about the things we talked about today. You can also get his book, Design Remix, and we'll link to his firm in our show notes. Does something in your life need redesigning? Why don't you send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001 and we might have you on the show. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson and Kevin Bendis produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is our senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Amanda Ripley is my co-host and I'm Carvel Wallace. Thanks for listening.